This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Vintage Homeschool Mom Show. Your host, Felice Gerwitz, is an author, a publisher, and your radio show host. She will encourage, educate, and inspire you with answers to your most pressing questions from homeschool, marriage, parenting, and much more. Felice loves to equip moms to live a Christian life because every moment counts. Be sure to visit her website at MediaAngels.com. And here's your host, Felice Gerwitz. Hi, everyone, and welcome. This is Felice Gerwitz with an episode of Vintage Homeschool Moms, and today I have a treat for you. Um, I have an old friend on the line. I don't like to say old because we're we are not old. Uh, we are very young at heart still. <laughs> But I have a friend on the line who um, is actually one of my customers. In fact, uh, Patrick and his lovely wife, Vicki Nuri, uh, from Northwest Treasures Geology, um, used to keep a steady supply of the Creation Geology books to go with their rocks. So today I am excited to uh, cross paths with them once again uh, and um, bring Patrick on the line today, who is going to share with us Um, a little bit about how you can teach your kids uh, geology. Before you do get on, uh, Patrick, I want to share with the listeners uh, where they can find you. Uh, You can go to northwestrockandfossil.com to find out more um, about what it is he does as well as to contact them about uh, coming to speak in your area as well as um, hosting them, um, they will do a field trip uh, with your kids. How great is that? And so um, if you want to find today's show notes, you can find them at VintageHomeschoolMoms.com. Look for the episode, Teaching Creation Geology. Welcome, Patrick. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited uh, to have you on. And uh, to see that you are still at it. Sometimes I would feel like I was the only one left who created, uh, cared about our kids learning about creation geology, and I've got a whole group of uh, grandchildren now that I can share the information with, as well as their mother, who uh, my daughter grew up with this stuff, and um, you know, absolutely loved it. So. <laughs> You know, for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about what Northwest Treasures is and um, how you came to be a creationist. Wow. Okay. Well, actually, I grew up in Montana, and uh, that's a rockhound's paradise. And I spent a lot of Saturdays uh, out near where I grew up, um, where the dinosaur fields, there were... Uh, places to uh, look for marine fossils along the Bighorn River. And uh, so I spent a lot of my time as a kid doing that and, of course, developed a real love for geology. And my mother happened to be the librarian for Bighorn County at the time. And so I used to spend uh, a lot of time in the old Carnegie-style library, and I'd read just every book I could get my hands on there on anything to do with uh, geology, paleontology, rocks, minerals, and uh, just had a, a great time doing it and developed a real love for it. Uh, and then uh, years later, I went off to college, and of course, during college, had a chance to uh, do a lot of thinking. I had 
uh, upon leaving home, I had rejected anything to do with um, religion, church, or Bible, and was convinced that evolution was the answer, and that the earth was old, and the Bible really was just a collection of myths. And uh, so it was about my senior year in college that I became a believer in Christ, and uh, began to be challenged with the idea that wait a minute, I've believed this scripture concerning Jesus, uh, I've got to resolve the scripture concerning the creation as well. And uh, so naturally, geology was kind of the doorway for me. I was most familiar with uh, rock formations and uh, identification of fossils and rocks and so on. So that's kind of where I began. And um, of course, I'd never read the Bible Growing up, I'd heard stories about Noah and the flood and so on. I was pictured it as this kind of a local flood with a big boat and all these animals mm -hmm. and kind of made a nice story, but really didn't connect with me in any way uh, regarding reality. So as I began to think back through these things and read the scripture for the first time in my life, I began to see there was a whole lot of the story I did not know and had not been taught. And uh, one of those just really had to do with the uh, consequences. If the flood story was true and a historical event, what were the consequences on our earth as a result? And so reading through things like the fountains of the great deep burst open, um, that communicated to me as a geologist uh, a lot of uh, geological implications. And uh, that's kind of when I went through my what I call my second conversion, uh, and began to see just how important the flood was. In fact, the flood, I believe, the Genesis flood, is really the, the whole turning point in geological Earth history. All of the landmarks, the landforms of geology, the rock layers, and so on, uh, were all laid down by the flood. And so that really is the kind of the, the linchpin of geological history. And uh, that's kind of how I got started back into it. I also began to see, too, that as families, uh, we had a family, we uh, were homeschooling our kids, and it dawned on me that <clears throat> what we were doing, as well as what I could observe from other families, was teaching what I call the catechism of creation. In other words, the uh, kids were probably better informed about the stories and so on than they ever had been before. But the kids really did not know how to apply that catechism. So when they would look at things like Yellowstone Park or Grand Canyon or other things like that, they didn't know how to fit it within the biblical framework. And so only half the assignment was really getting done, and that was teaching the uh, biblical view of earth history. So when we get into situations like, okay, how did this happen here? How did Yellowstone take place? Is it really as old as geologists say it is? And how does it fit with the Bible? People would kind of throw up their hands and say, well, I'm not a geologist. And so they'll continue to believe the story, but then look to the secularist to explain it. And that, of course, just sets up conflicts in faith and causes a lot of problems. So I, uh, way back in 2005, I began to just devote myself 
to doing two things. Number one was teaching uh, parents that they, they had to have both parts of the the educational process here, not just the catechism, but also uh, confidence and experience at taking that catechism and interpreting the various landforms they would come across. Uh, and then the second thing I did was start building geology kits with the specimens. One of the things that uh, I was convinced about as a kid was that the uh, church seemed to study the pictures. The scientists seemed to have all the, the real things. They studied the real things. The church studied the, the pictures. And I felt that that was a real missing ingredient of our geological education uh, as believers. Have them uh, hold and examine, observe, kind of study the physical specimens. So we have now over 100 kits online that um, are all produced not only with the uh, curriculum, but also with uh, a variety of fossil, mineral, and rock specimens to help children in this, in this area. So that's in brief kind of my story of why I'm doing what I'm doing and how I got there. I think that's wonderful. And I was, um, you know, as I'm listening, a lot of parallels uh, for me and mostly as a homeschool parent um, before I met Jill Whitlock, who was my co-author in the Creation Science series we wrote, um, I attended conferences where I would hear creationists speak and then buy all these books and decide, okay, well, how am I going to teach this to my kids? Because a lot of the stuff that we purchased were great supplemental books, but they didn't teach us how to teach our children. That's, so that's right. Why I was that's delighted, right. Yeah. You know, when I met Jill, because she was able to give me, in a nutshell, the information I needed to teach my kids. And then I liked hands-on learning. I, my kids were not workbook, uh, worksheet kinds of kids, even though at some point my dream is to turn our creation series into, you know, more of a of a interactive kind of book. Um, but it was wonderful to have her and and have her give me some play-by-play, you know, like these are the things that they need to know and have a handle on so that I could teach my children. And I'm really delighted to say that um, my kids um, that have gone to college, and which is the three out of five, um, are all still believers, even though they've gotten a lot of, you know, even at, at Christian uh Supposedly, I'm, you can't see my air quotes here. <laughs> um, but, you know, some of the, the schools um, that we talked to or looked at, uh, that they don't necessarily teach from a creationist perspective. But I always felt, Patrick, that if we armed our children with the information we need, that they needed, if we explained it to them in a way um, that they could then explain it to other people, because it doesn't help to have this knowledge if you can't explain it. And yeah. that's what that's what my daughter Christina found in college. She had a professor who, as a homeschooler, had led uh, some expeditions here in Florida because we actually have some uh, Calusa fossil mounds and some other things. And, um, you know, we homeschool moms are very entrepreneurish and we're going to find all of these little known treasures in our own communities. And uh, this professor turned out to have been the gentleman 
um, that had led one of our field trips. And, you know, when we got home, I could explain to the children, no, it wasn't millions of years and so forth and so on. Well, she had him later, um, all these years later, in a, as her professor in college, and one of the little girls raised her hands, of course they're not little, they're 18 as freshmen, and said, I wish I could bring my mother in to, um, you know, debate this with you. And I went to an evangelical Christian school, but she couldn't articulate against carbon-14 dating. Whereas by this time, Christina and I had not only had she grown up in our homeschool world, um, but she also had um, authored the Truth Seekers Mystery Series with me, which is uh, the basis of that is a creation versus evolution. And in the dialogue, the kids had to defend their beliefs against an uh, evolutionist. Each book has one or many. <laughs> and yeah. so she then argued with her professor and said, but, you know, went through the whole Carbon-14 discussion and um, he kind of looked at her and then threw out the argon dating, and she refuted that. And he said, that is so great. Could you please come into my class or my office after class? <laughs> so, you know, cell phones were just new at the time, and Christina had one. And it was so funny. She never even turned hers on during those days, you know, because we used to think of them as being um, annoying, you know. It's yeah, kind of yeah. come full circle. And she called me and she said, well, Mom, you better pray because my first week of school, I'm already in trouble. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and, and he ended up saying to her, it's not that you're not right because you are, because he didn't say she was wrong. He just said, we can't take up class time arguing that point. And so she had a whole little group outside of class that they discussed um, these, you know, fine tuning of the different things he talked about and, in fact, had all these kids at our house um, and Jill did a workshop for them and it was it was really great because he he looked at her and said, oh, no, I can't just, you know, bulldog through because you know how they are. They, ex well, of course everyone knows that dinosaurs, you know, uh, were on the earth 65 million years ago and, of course, and, of course, <laughs> So that if you don't think that, then you're the dummy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So yeah, she I would sounds like she. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it sounds like she had a a real pleasant experience for a teacher to do that and to uh, recognize, uh, you know, someone who is willing to talk about the intricacies of that process I, that is that's very that's encouraging i wish we all had instructors like right. them i mean some of them are are not so encouraging she had another negative experience with another professor um that was in a class she was auditing at a at a christian college that was not a pleasant experience um and she didn't even she knew better than to ask him during class because she could already tell uh, and this was a secular university where she was able to express, but she did it scientifically. And I think the problem is sometimes these kids start out with, like the other girl who said, well, I went to an evangelical Christian school. And when you already start with a biblical premise, sometimes you're going to get shut out. If you start with some scientific um, information that does tie in, with what we believe that the Bible teaches, that, you know, is is a good way to start. So, um, 
you know, it, it, it really depends, again, on the professor and, you know, their, I mean, she was really happy that other class um, that she wasn't getting graded on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it not have gone yeah. well for her because, you know, um, for those of you that are not familiar with the term auditing, uh, you can take a college class, you pay for it, um, but you are there just to listen and take notes. And if you want to do the assignments, you can, but they're not graded. Um, so you just um, are experiencing the information without actually uh, getting a credit for that. But, um, you know, people might ask, uh, what does creation, what does a creation worldview have to do with geology and why is that important? That's a very, very good question uh, because if we're just taught that Genesis is a book of stories with nice moral content uh, or good lessons to learn, then it's really removed from any kind of historical reality. And there are really only two views of Earth history. One is that the Earth was uh, came into being roughly 4.5 billion years ago and developed uh, through long ages of, of uh, evolutionary processes, evolutionary geological processes, to the point where we get uh, where we've got today. But uh, the other view is that the Earth was created a short time ago. Um, out of nothing by an intelligent being uh, who then about 1600 years later flooded the earth with a global flood because of the the uh, sin of mankind and that all of the landforms and the rock layers and the buried fossils and so on are really as a result of that one global flood. Now those are two diametrically opposite viewpoints. You can dismiss one or the other uh, out of hand, but uh, you have to ask some questions here. And those questions are, of course, uh, is it scientific? Um, two, is it, uh, is it, was it uh, observed? Was it recorded? Uh, you get into matters of history, you get into matters of philosophy, you get into matters of consensus. All of those things play a part in resolving this whole issue. But the the contention of the, the Bible is that it is a historical recorded uh, story. Uh, in other words, there are things in it that can be checked against uh, uh, other sources. There are also things in it that can be checked against the reality of what we see. In contrast to that, with the uh, modern view of Earth history, uh, it uses a framework that involves just observing what we see today and then projecting that into the past. Well, right away we can see that's not scientific. It may sound scientific, but it, you can't observe very far uh, into the past without coming to a dead end. You have to then guess or you have to predict or you have to uh, philosophize. But that's not being made clear in our education system today. One is accepted over the other because one is science, the other one is not. But much about modern geology is not science at all. They are uh, guesses or predictions based upon what we observe today. And I think it's, it's critical, first of all, that students know the difference among those words, science, mm -hmm. uh, history, philosophy, right. consensus. And then uh, also to see that if 
Genesis as a historical um, record is not true, if we just reject it out of hand, you have rejected just about everything else that has anything to do with with uh, mankind, the history of mankind, or moral problems, issues today like sexual identity, things like that. All of those go back to Genesis and uh, the problem of, of sin and what it's done to our creation. So uh, to me, the, the, the real uh, stickler in this whole thing is what we do with the Genesis flood. If it was just an inconsequential local flood, then it really has no bearing on anything geologically because we observe things all over the world. But the Bible definitely teaches a global flood, and that global flood had global consequences and effects. And if that's true, then that serves as a framework for interpreting things like the Grand Canyon, Yellowstone Park, and so on and so forth. Um, so it it's definitely critical. It's it's very important that we resolve that issue. You can't live in one world. And this is the the uh, challenge I had when I first became a Christian, way way back in the early 70s. Uh, you can't live in the world of the resurrection as if it's true, and then in the same Bible read the story of Genesis and conclude it's myth or it really doesn't have any bearing mm -hmm. on today. That's that produces a kind of spiritual schizophrenic uh, attitude and viewpoint that's just not healthy for the development of our faith. So it's very, very I critical. Agree. Yeah, and I, I, I really agree with that. And that's what we find so many times. Um, you know, I was sharing with Vicki um, when I spoke with her, and that's your lovely wife, uh, that a lot of times I hear from friends who lament that, and that was one of the reasons I mentioned, yes, my kids still have their faith, um, because they mention that, you know, their children went off to school and have lost their faith. And these are typically, not always, but a, a lot of times, um, you know, families that decided, you know, we're just not going to um, – focus on a creationist perspective uh, just because, you know, we're we're going to college and we want to make sure that we're getting X, Y, and Z done and, um, you know, we have all of these uh, things that we're expected to do, whereas a lot of the younger children are perhaps taught creationism and then don't have a way to be able to articulate and express what exactly that means. Yeah, and you're, you're, so, you are so right. Yeah. Right. So what happens is there's a disconnect, like you said, and, you know, they can't reconcile um, either thing. And, the, you know, the question remains, you know, yes, there are certain things you have to get done before you go to college. I understand that. But you really need a handle on um, understanding, like you said, um, the, the philosophy and the discussion, because when they say um, this is science, you know, they use words like hypothesis, which means educated guess, but like you said, no one ever, no one was there and documented when the earth came to be. So, therefore, you know, we can come up with all kinds of outlandish things, and we've heard that, right? We've heard that yep. the earth was populated by outer space aliens, and, you know, we resort to these crazy ideas. Um, and then, like you said, again, 
you know, that brings into all of these moral questions because if there is no God, um, there is, you know, carte blanche as far as how you can live your life. I mean, um, I won't say all atheists are, you know, horrible human beings in the sense of, um, you know, understanding, you know, moral consequences and they might still understand that kind of thing. But it just is um, a real difficulty today as a Christian uh, to live in a world where everything is, you know, there's an explosion of anger or, um, you know, I want to call it hypocrisy because, you know, it's not an even playing field where, um, you know, students are not allowed to express both sides of an argument. There's only one taught. There's not a book that has, um, this is my dream, in a secular university, can we have a book that's maybe split down the middle and says, here's the evolutionary (laughs) side of the argument and here's the creationist (laughs) side of the argument. And let's even throw in intelligent design and let's have an articulated discussion. Because you know what they're, why they don't, Patrick, and that's because they're afraid because theirs, ours is, you know, ours is faith and theirs is based on faith as well. Yeah. And that's one of the big deceptions. You often hear uh, this argument that the reason we don't consider the Genesis perspective is because that's religion and what we do here is science. And I think uh, the majority of people, as far as I can tell, have bought into that argument. And that's really not true at all. It's one of the biggest lies that have been uh, perpetrated on our culture. Both of these viewpoints are um, religions, they're philosophies, they're, they're viewpoints, they're worldviews. Both of them are. Uh, mm-hmm. Science, by definition, really deals with the present and what you can observe. You can only go back into the past so far and then you're out of gas. You just can't go any further. For instance, if you if you observe erosion and you observe it as a process and obviously it consumes time, it does uh things to our <clears throat> to our geology and uh you can observe that, you can record it, but to take it back into the unobservable past and say, therefore this is exactly how things worked is uh, if that now you've just left science and you've gone into interpretation. And uh, mm-hmm. if they would only make that clear and allow that to be uh, discussed, I think we'd be in a lot different place. But this idea that things we observe in the present sufficient to explain the past, it's treated like scientific fact. And indeed, it is not. And I don't think we create good scientists that way. We tell them what to believe, and we tell them how to believe it. We don't really make good thinkers out of them, and uh, we don't uh, we don't encourage them to uh, defend their position. And I think it just does a very it does a huge disservice to our education. Right, and you know, this just having this discussion brings back a lot of my memories of starting my homeschool journey. I officially ended it this year all five children uh were homeschooled and congratulations <laughs> thank you this was it 
And uh, and so, you know, my oldest now is in his mid-30s, so that tells you how long um, I was. I started homeschooling in 1986. I always told when I would publicly speak, I would say, I began homeschooling in 1986, you know, when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. <laughs> you, know, and you know, people would think, oh, no, that's not old. And I said, most of you are probably in middle school. And one girl raised her hand. She goes, no, I was in high school. Okay, thank you. That makes me feel a lot better. But... Um, you know, it, it was a very, very important, um, it, it was important for us as Christian moms, and people would be very vigilant as to the curriculum they used, um, as to what was being taught. And now, if it says, well, God created the world, and let's delve into you know, just the regular science part of it, let's say chemistry or biology or physics. Um, they think that's good enough. And it yeah. really is not because it's not explaining uh, the difference. Um, Jill Whitlock was a uh, oil and well geologist, and she would say that they would find something, and when she went to have it age-dated, they would say to her, well, how old do you think it is? And she'd throw some, this is before she was a Christian and she was an evolutionist, and she said, would say something like, you know, however many millions of years, she thought. And they'd come back and they would age date it within 10,000 years of these millions of years, you know, that she threw out. And Patrick, you know, we're clo close in, in age and, when we started teaching this 30-something years ago, for me anyway, it was millions of years. Now it's billions. I feel yeah, like they yeah. just decided that time is the, is the, you know, cure. And time hasn't, we, there's nothing that shows that by leaving a piece of meat there or whatever that animal is, that time over over time it's going to evolve because now millions wasn't good enough, was it? Yeah, I'll tell you too. <clears throat> thinking in terms of, I mean, most people can can imagine and kind of think through uh, one of the pharaohs. Let's say the pharaoh is a few thousand years old. Okay, that that gives us we can kind of wrap our hands around that one. You start thinking in terms of millions of years, and I think people just blank. You cannot comprehend that. And so really, time is kind of the hero. With a lots of time, anything is possible. And we don't have any way to measure it. There's, there's nothing scientifically to demonstrate whether that really is right or wrong. And uh, this, I think, is is critical in our education. You know, one of the things that really drew me to using your particular curriculum, the creation geology curriculum, was that you had a little bit you covered uh, or you could potentially cover from pre-K all the way through high school. That mm -hmm. was what I felt was the missing ingredient in most curricula out there. We usually deal with it uh, on at grade four or grade eight, and so uh, kids retain maybe five percent of it, and that's it. You check it off your list and you go on. Meanwhile, we still haven't been able to deal with this idea of millions of years of time. We might feel that it's it's wrong, but we can't really uh, tell you why 
it's wrong. And I think one of the the, the reasons for that is we don't cover uh, earth science well enough in our education system. And that goes for Christian school education, private school education, mm -hmm. and public school education. And then when we go on off to college, those guys have been studying it. They have been they're, they're familiarizing themselves with their own framework of earth history for years. And they know it. And, of course, you don't. You had a little bit of it right. here and there. But I think if we could take more time, similar to what you were doing, a little bit each semester or each year to keep the issue at the forefront of our thinking, to keep the importance of Genesis as a historical framework for interpreting Earth history, we keep that in the forefront of our education, I think we could do a better job of equipping our kids so that by the time they leave homes, they're going to be equipped to deal with these kinds of things. Right. And, you know, I feel that creationism is a gateway to their faith. It's, it's what's going to keep them grounded. Um, I met a gentleman years ago who, um, you know, he's a Catholic gentleman that has the uh, Colby Center, and he is a creationist and goes around the world sharing um, the creationist message. Well, when he grew up as an evolutionist, when he felt that he was being called to the Lord, he said he went to the library at the time, and he bought every, or rent, rented, whatever. What did we used to do with the library? Check out. Yeah, oh, yeah. We, uh, yeah, we used, to, used to, we to stamp those out. cards with the right? date, you know, check right. in, check out, that kind of thing. Right. And he he got books on evolution because he wanted to remain, you know, and then he said as he was reading these books, he was looking at them with new eyes. And, you know, God eventually called him um, into faith. And then, again, he had to go back and relearn what he um, what he had learned in the past. So, you know, it's it's one of the ways I feel that, you know, parents, we can make a difference. And um, that's why I was excited to have you on because one of the things you're going to share with us now and to help parents, I always like to give uh, good information that moms and dads can use in every one of these episodes. And so you're going to share with us, Patrick, since you've done it for so many years, you know, how do you suggest we teach uh, creation geology or geology to our kids? That's again, boy. That is a, a that is a question that I have been working on answering. Um, having attended now, man, I, I I would ask my wife here. She's, um, but I, I I think if we were both to sit down and figure, it'd probably be um, oh maybe a hundred conventions. I've spoken at almost all of them, and that has been the one theme that has surfaced again and again and again with my discussions with uh, in my discussions with parents. And I think, first of all, it's it's too big of a subject to tackle at one grade or another. Mm -hmm. That's that's one of the we've got to cover it in smaller chunks more often. Now, one of the things I have done with that is I've written uh, to date now twenty textbooks ranging from pre-K through uh, high school that are designed to take aspects of geology and um, thoroughly equip the student, whatever age level they're at, and then going on maybe the next semester or the next year so that the parents can have something uh, 
to not only encourage that interest the child naturally has, but also to just uh, build in one more concept that's important in establishing that worldview. Um, so I think that's the first thing. Cover it more often and in uh, not gorge them on a big, you know, a big steak, but take it in little bite-sized chunks. And um, I think, uh, too, <clears throat> what we've got to do is we've, we have to make sure the students are learning that worldview, they're learning the scriptures, and um, they're, they're getting it down and using it to interpret things. So <clears throat> with the education should come the field experience. They're learning something and then they're getting out and they're, they're putting it into practice. We've got to realize, too, that this is a not an academic subject. And I think that's a huge mistake that uh, schools make, is they treat earth science as just another academic subject. It isn't. It's a worldview issue. And that worldview has got to be inculcated to the point where it, the child just breathes it and sleeps it and eats it. I've asked this question of a lot of kids. I'll say, how many of you know John 3.16? And they'll all raise their hands, you know. And then I'll ask them, well, how many of you know Genesis 7.11? None of them will raise their hands. And, it can well, be our one, right? Well, it's probably the most significant right. passage of Scripture that, that uh, deals with geology except maybe the creation and so it tells me we're just not treating it right um, geology has often been called or earth science has often been called the stepchild of the sciences there are relatively uh, few textbooks I've seen that actually have labs with earth science mm -hmm. um, I, one of my textbooks it's geology for kids uh, grades four through eight I've I've got a I developed a lab book for it. It's important that kids interact with what they're learning, and um, and then I think a fourth thing parents have got to do is they've got to let their kids study the samples. They can't just study pictures. I think there is an element of confidence that a child can develop through the years by actually handling the specimens. I learned this one time when. My wife and I were on our way to a convention. We got behind a car that was loaded with bumper stickers. And, of course, I always enjoy reading bumper stickers. But this one uh, struck me uh, in particular. And it um, it had a picture of, uh, you know, the fish with the legs, the, the typical Darwin symbol. Mm -hmm. And then beside it, it said, we have all the fossils, we win. And I thought, you know, that is part of the problem with our Christian education. Most kids um, don't even get a chance to examine what it is they're picking up. Most kids have a natural interest in fossils and rocks, but uh, the parents are usually too busy trying to get their spelling done or their English done or whatever it is to pay much attention to that. I think that's a big mistake. We've got to handle the specimens to give us the kind of the finishing touches on that confidence in the scripture as an interpretive device. Right. So that's what I would say would be very, very important to do.
Yeah, if we can study rocks, and we live in southwest Florida, which is very sandy with sedimentary layers uh, that are mostly um, limestone. Um, if we could study rocks from all over the United States and we've collected them through the years, we have uh, the kits and so forth, um, then I know everyone else can too. And it does, it's a little bit of an investment, but you don't have to buy it all at once, but it really does help. And, and I think one of the keys um, to teaching geology for us anyway and in our study guide, our creation geology study guide, we had um, an example of um, the fossil record, and that's something that we see in every textbook that's, of course, incorrect because that's not how the fossils are found, and the age dating is an, a, an educated guess or a hypothesis, but not um, at all. And, uh, you know, what is found out in, in the world, and which leads us to the next, um, well, I guess there's a couple more questions I want to ask, but because I do know that you uh, do take some field trips to Yellowstone National Park. Um, but I'll, before we get to that, I want to have you discuss some of the things uh, that you do to help, um, you know, support the message about creationism. Uh, well, let's, I, one of the things that, <clears throat> of course, I do is try to get as many field trips as I can with various groups. I even do them with public schools. They just warn me that, you know, I can't uh, I can't talk about the religion involved. <laughs> so I said, well, you know what? It'll be easy to do the science by itself. Mm -hmm. So we do the science, and then after that field trip is over, I'll usually ask people, look, uh, if this this is officially ends the field trip, but if you'd like to stick around and hear how scientists view these things and why they do it and some alternative views, I'd be glad to do that now. And I end up having about 75% of the group uh, stay around. They want to hear it. Uh, so that's one of the ways I do it, as many field trips as I can get in. Another one I usually like to do is uh, uh, take on as many uh, seminars or speaking engagements with uh, especially homeschool parents and kids. Those kids are our future workers uh, in the gospel, and, and we have got to pay attention to equipping them. So I try to take on as many of those as I can where I'm not just imparting some information, but actually uh, working with them in a way that will build the worldview and, uh, and the things that are necessary for this. Uh, so field trips are a big part of it. Speaking engagements are a big part of it. And then also my textbooks, which are really designed to simplify things. I remember a, a commentator I uh, read a long time ago by the name of Barnhouse. He's really, from, uh, really famous for his commentary on the book of Romans. He used to tell his students, you've got to get the hay out of the loft and onto the ground where the cows can get at it. And I thought, boy, that that is exactly what I need to do in communicating, is making it as clear and as succinct as possible so that everybody can grab these, con these concepts and uh, make something out of them. So that's what I try to do in my textbooks. My textbooks also have lots and lots and lots of colored pictures. Just about every page does. Mm -hmm. I think it's important that people see examples of what it is you're talking about. And then um, 
I try to supply as many samples as possible. One of the things we used to have here, we had to close it down recently because the owner of our building decided to sell the building and then inform us. <laughs> so we had oh, to quickly, you know, quickly pack it all up. But it was a geology learning center. And in it was, uh, I housed all kinds of samples of the concepts we were trying to get across. And so we used to have field trips uh, in there quite often as well. So those are some of the things I'm trying to do, um, trying to spend more time with the parents and with the kids. That's our future when it comes to the gospel. Great. And you guys, um, if you go to the uh, northwestrockandfossil.com, uh, you can contact the Nuri's, um, you know, Patrick as well as Vicki, and, um, you know, get them on the schedule. And before we went live, and I'm not going to have you share that, um, Patrick, uh, but he did um, share with me how reasonable it is to get them in your area. Uh, so you really want to contact them and um, and get them to come because uh, you will be be extremely blessed. And and Patrick, so you picked uh, Yellowstone as one of the main uh, places that you go. Can you tell me why that is? Yeah. Uh, first of all, on the website address, uh, some people will type in NW Treasures uh, or NW rockandfossil.com it's all spelled out so it's n-o-r-t-h-w-e-s-t uh, rock r-o-c-k a-n-d uh, f-o-s-s-i-l dot com so all spelled out there and that, otherwise they'll get a, a, a non-working address um, Yellowstone is uh, is of course our nation's first national park and uh, it's the creme de la creme of parks. Parks all over the world have copied it, uh, its layout and how it presents things. And when you go over to Israel and you go to their national parks, you'll see many similarities. Uh, and so it's kind of served as the model. The other thing is that it is the icon of evolutionary geology. And, uh, of course, there's a ton of geology in Yellowstone. You're driving through and you're in the main park, uh, the, the main part of the national park, you're in a crater of a caldera that's 45 miles long and 35 miles wide. And uh, so this has, this is worth studying. What would happen if we had a huge volcano like that explode? What would be the, the consequences on our atmosphere? What would be the consequences on life? And uh, so we, we, we go to a place where that is visible, and it's not just a dead volcano. There are lots of things going on within that caldera, perhaps three to four earthquakes a day. There are all kinds of hot springs and fumaroles and geysers and mud pots and things like this. And uh, there are also, in many of these hot springs, are uh, different kinds of bacteria and that is a an excellent place to discuss uh, creation, biology, and uh, some of the complexities of these creatures that are in these various um, hot springs and so on. And then, of course, around Yellowstone, the big range of the Beartooth Mountains that kind of act as a guard on the north 
north side of Yellowstone, north and northeast side of Yellowstone. How did those come about, and why are they so glaciated? And um, uh, why do they bear the scars of past uh, glaciation that obviously was huge in, in scope? Some of the glacial troughs up there are a couple thousand feet deep. That is a lot of ice. And so we, we kind of treat Yellowstone as a, as a laboratory to study the uh, biblical historical framework of Earth history. And uh, it, to put those two together, uh, I can't tell you the number of people that have commented to me afterwards that they will never see geology the same way. And it has literally changed their, their lives, their perspectives, given them new confidence in the scripture. So we continue to do it year after year after year. <clears throat> Occasionally, this year we are, we're adding the dinosaur dig to it where we then travel on to uh, eastern Montana, where uh, we have a place out there where we can look for bones. This is where many of the T-Rexes have been found. And the kids get to keep what they find. They don't work for me. And again, how do you explain these badlands out there? And how do you explain, mm -hmm. explain the condition of the bones? And how does Genesis, what does Genesis have to say about that? So all of those things we, we view as laboratories for studying uh, the biblical historical framework of Earth history. And uh, that's why we do it, and that's why I continue to do it. I've, I've been to Yellowstone perhaps four dozen times in my life, and I've never seen the whole thing yet. And I look forward to going back year after year. I never get tired of it. It's uh, truly one of the best preserved parks in our country and one of the best opportunities to study uh, the biblical view of earth history. That's why we do it. I love it. And I want to win the lottery so I can take my daughter and my seven <laughs> grandchildren. <laughs> one of these things would be so much fun. You know, I, it may surprise you, Felice. We, people come from all over the country. We've had several through the years come from Canada. In fact, this year we've got uh, one coming down from uh, somewhere in Alberta, and wow. um, we've got we've got them coming from New Mexico, Arizona. They come from all over the country, and we make it affordable. We charge by the vehicle, not by the person, and we make wow. it family friendly. Uh, and we allow people to do what they want as far as housing. So some mm -hmm. people that maybe have a larger family. Maybe it may be more financially expedient for them to camp within Yellowstone um, and bring their own food. That makes the trip very affordable. Uh, so that's what we try to do because I realize these families are are just so critical to the right. the whole the that's gospel wonderful. message. Yeah. Right. That's wonderful. Well, you may see the Gerwitz Moss family in the next few years. Because, well, <laughs> oh, we little would love to have you there. A little bit. I know. That would be so much fun. I think my daughter's oldest is, is going to be 13 in January, and she's expecting number eight. So um, she does have a vehicle large enough, so we, we definitely would have that. And I, I, I'll have to tell Christina. This will be exciting. Well, I didn't mean to get off as we're recording this. <laughs> just, I'm excited because, you know, I I loved this stuff and so, so did she. 
um, as a child, and so do her kids. And that's the thing is passing on this love, just hearing you uh, talk, Patrick, makes me excited about learning more. And it, it just brings back so many memories for me, um, you know, as a vintage homeschool mom now that um, one of the reasons I have this podcast is to share with moms, you know, things that worked for us as a homeschool family. And, you know, we, we always, as we're in the middle of, of homeschooling our kids, we don't see what that's going to hold in the future. So while, you know, I'm not done with a couple that still are, you know, on, on the papers or on the books are, you know, adults with my son went to the gym the other day and he went to a different place to work out. And uh, he said, it was exciting. I got to sign uh, your, you know, my name and uh, not have to bring a paper home, you know. And I said to him, well, on paper, you may be an adult. <laughs> but just remember, you know, you're still, you're still my kid because you're not done with school, with college anyway. Um, but it, it just to be able to see how, um, you know, they've been able to take their knowledge and share it with others. And even, um, you know, with other kids who are Christians who may not have the vocabulary and understand to be able to articulate um, all of that. I mean, um, I remember one of the, the, I think it was the Creation and Geology Activity Pack. Uh, one of the things that I insisted on doing was, um, having uh, pages, and I want to say there's like four or five, six pages of just vocabulary words. Because yeah. I felt that if the kids could understand the vocabulary, like what you were talking about earlier, um, you know, with understanding the difference between fact and and a hypothesis or an educated guess and, you know, philosophy and consensus and all the stuff that's passed off as science but is yeah. not through science in the way that it is observable, that you can recreate it, that you can look at the variables. I mean, just heat alone is an insurmountable variable for carbon-14 dating. Yeah. And the fact that just having that one little tiny piece of knowledge to be able to tell a teacher or a professor or, you know, and if you feel like the professor is, is a confrontational sort, you may not want to do it in class. You know, you may want to um, do it. Um, hopefully you have a friend nearby. <laughs> you don't want to yeah, be a coster. Yeah. But, but uh, you, you know, um, it, it just it does help our children to be able to articulate it. So, you know, we are out of time now, and I just want to have you share some last words that you would like to with our audience today. Um, you know, obviously we are sharing, sending them to your website Again, uh, the show notes uh, uh, that are available are on uh, the website, which is vintagehomeschoolmoms.com. Look for Teaching Creation Geology. Um, but wh what would you like to uh, uh, share with our listeners, Patrick? Well, I think, uh, number one, um, <clears throat> they may think they, well, they've read Genesis a few times here and there, and they know the story and so on. Uh, let me tell you, I unless you are spending lots of time going through those passages and those first, especially 11 chapters of Genesis, I don't believe you can get an adequate view of biblical earth history. There's a lot of diagramming involved. There's a lot of 
illustrating. There's a lot of, of paying attention to the nuances. So I would say, number one, master those scriptures. Don't just blow by them and use them as, as a sleep aid at night. You know, spend the time, learn the material. And then the second thing is get a good amount of time spent in the field. It sounds rather scientific, but it doesn't take much to get out and observe, handle things, ask questions, make notes, um, be the kind of investigator that will develop some of these skills in the future. Those would probably be the, the two main things that I would suggest. Wonderful, and I'm excited um, to talk with you further. Um, and as always, Patrick, uh, thank you so much. You've been a blessing um, not only to Media Angels, my business, um, but also to countless numbers of children and families um, throughout the years. So, again, friends, NorthwestRockAndFossil.com, all spelled out. And you definitely want to find out more information about what Patrick offers. Thank you so much, Patrick. Well, and thank you, too, for the opportunity. And, and again, thank you for the influence that you've had on us all. It's much appreciated. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Vintage Homeschool Mom Show. Visit Felice at MediaAngels.com and TheVintageHomeschoolMoms.com. Vintage Homeschool Moms is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.